Greetings, you're watching the online ministry of Inverell Anglican Church. My name is Adam Draycott and it's wonderful to be sharing this time with you. Uh, this ministry has been prepared for the 10th of October 2021 and our sentence of scripture comes from Psalm 130 verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquity, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, God of Israel. Let us pray. Lord, our help and guide, make your love the fountain of our lives. May our love for you express itself in our eagerness to do good for others. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.
G'day, just time for some quick announcements. I just, well, I better take my Penrith Panthers face mask off, which you don't need if you're watching online. But of course, if you're in church, you still need. Um, on that, this has been prepared for the 10th of October. The public health orders come into play on the 11th tomorrow. So if you're at home watching this thinking that you can't come to church because for whatever reason, uh, the answer is no, no. The health orders apply from Monday the 11th of October for, an, for a matter of weeks until we return to the 80%. Uh, we're asking people to comply with the public health orders, please. Uh, we believe uh, asking you to take and heed the health advice is consistent with Romans 13. All right. Um, you might not agree with the health advice. You're not, you, you, you might have strong opinions on whether to be vaccinated or not vaccinated. Um, again, the encouragement is let's not be self-righteous about our views on such things. Uh, that's not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking or being vaccinated or not vaccinated. Uh, Romans 14 verse 17 tells us it's a matter of righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Spirit. And it's through the Holy Spirit that we are bound together as one people of God, irrespective of our vaccination status. I hope that's clear. Uh, also today, the 10th of October, is our AGM. Again, if you're watching this on a Saturday evening or early Sunday morning, turn up, participate in a church family event. We're hoping to meet at 11 o'clock. Uh, read the bulletin. That's all by the way of announcements. Again, we'll try and keep you updated as things develop and change. Uh, thank you again for making the, the best of what has been a really ordinary situation. God bless. As we come to the ministry of God's word, our Bible readings today come from Leviticus chapter 1, beginning at verse 1 through to verse 9. Leviticus chapter 1. At Psalm 27, verses 1 to 6, and Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Please take a moment to pause uh, this video and to read it out loud. A couple of times even would serve you well. And so, dear brothers and sisters... I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviour and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test his, to test and approve what God, God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. I call upon you, therefore, brethren, through the compassions of God, to present your bodies a sacrifice, living, 
sanctified, acceptable to God, your intelligent service. And be not conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, for your proving what is the will of God, the good and acceptable and perfect. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you that we can open up your word, dip back into Romans. And we pray that in this time you'd be growing us in Christ Jesus, growing us in our love for him and our worship of him. Help us to know what this means. Help us to know what it looks like. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 12, we're dealing with two epic verses uh, today with one big question what is true and proper worship i say worship and you think your imagination goes somewhere you can make a list of things that you think constitutes true and proper worship but what is true and proper worship according to the bible well we need to read romans we've read through it a number of times We'll see there the therefore it begins and all good readers of English must ask, what is the therefore, therefore? If I said uh, Johnny was injured and is therefore unable to play, uh, the injury is the reason. The therefore is the logical consequence or the reasonable response. And so what is the reason here? What is the therefore, therefore? Well, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer our bodies, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
See how Paul is helpful. It's simple reading exercise. It's in view of God's mercy. This is the why of everything that's going to follow. It means that if you slept through chapters 1 to 11, you've uh, forgotten what that was all about, chapter 12 is going to be lost on you, potentially, possibly. And so you say, well, Adam, can you help me with chapters 1 to 11 again? And I'll, easy, I'm so glad you asked. Chapters 1 to 11 are about the mercy of God. In view of God's mercy, that's what it says there in chapter 12. It's the wonder of the gospel and all that Christ has done for us. And so you could jump into chapter 5, verse 1. We've been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace that we uh, now stand. That is the mercy of God. You could jump into Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That's the mercy of God. Then we landed in chapters 9, 10, and 11. What's that all about? Again, it's about the mercy of God. We were reminded in that section that no one is completely a lost cause, not even Israel, rebellious Israel, cut off Israel. Even they're not completely out of chances and beyond hope. And if not them, how about you? It's a great lesson. All day long, God holds out his welcoming hands. Our God, who is slow to anger and abounding in love. He longs to welcome believers and see them grafted into the family of God, which is pictured as an olive tree, you might remember. The mercy of God. You can't engage with these last few chapters in Romans without having that at the forefront of your mind. The mercy of God. And so how often do you stop and think about God's mercy shown to you in your life? Cliche, count your blessings. What about this undeserved, unmerited mercy? All the rubbish that we fill our heads with. All the demands of other people, the stress, the busyness, the worries about family, life, our minds, race. Here's an invitation to hit the brakes. Press the pause button and reflect on the mercy of God to us in Christ Jesus. Now, why do I need to do that? Because <laughs> this is a key part. This is an essential part of our true and proper worship. The mercy of God expressed to us in Christ Jesus. It's the why. And so what follows? Well, verse 1 again, chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, Brothers and sisters, so this is important, in view of God's mercy, we talked about that, to what? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. How's that for a response? What do you think Paul was going to write? Literally, he's speaking of an appropriate response, a reasonable response, a thought out response, a thoughtful one. And that may have 
uh, being drawn out as you heard the different translations read out. And how are we to respond to the mercy of God? Well, we're to offer ourselves, our bodies, as a living sacrifice, which sounds kind of ironic. Who's ever heard of a living sacrifice? Now, when I say sacrifice, your imagination engages, I hope. And what Bible character comes to mind? I hope it's Aaron, the old covenant, Leviticus. The old way of worship, the altar, the tabernacle, the temple, the animal sacrificed, sin covered over, peace with God, the pleasant aroma, hooray. And all of these Old Testament sacrifices all point forward to that one true sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, once and for all, never to be repeated. His death on the cross makes the old system redundant. The old system's like an old coin. And what's an old coin good for? Um, ever try to put old pennies into a vending machine? Who would do that? You're not going to get a can of Coke out of a vending machine with old pennies from 50 years ago. No, our old coin is superseded by a new system, a new currency, if you like. And what is it? Well, it's the sacrifice and death of Jesus. That Jesus came and lived and served and he died. And now, well, what now? In view of God's mercy, what now? Well, this is the answer. We are to follow where Jesus has led the way. If Jesus took up the cross and died, he did it that we might live. That we might live not for self, but for him, verse 1, as a living sacrifice, we follow his. It's like one uh, John's first letter, chapter 3, verse 16. If you're Inverell Anglican, we looked at that last week. It says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And Paul is saying here in Romans, this is, this is reasonable. This is a reasonable response to the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. It's not only appropriate, um, it's also our true and proper worship. And so again, to our question, what is true and proper worship? <laughs> it's a believer who in view of God's mercy lives out what Christ first did for us. We live a life of service and sacrifice to God and his people. And maybe this is what Jesus is on about when he said, take up your cross and follow me. Matthew 16. Do we see true and proper worship is to follow in the steps of Jesus. It's to lay down our lives in a similar way that he because he first laid down his life for us. So we lay down our lives. That's true and proper worship. And what are we offering? Our lives, our bodies, quite literally. All of ourselves, the whole self, physical, spiritual, emotional. We offer it to God in our love for him, because we love him. With all our heart, strength, soul and mind. Doesn't leave much room for anything else. We offer our talk. It belongs to God. Our time. It belongs to God. Our thoughts, our minds, 
belong to God. Our treasure, our pockets, all that's below the waistline. Yeah, we offer it to God, to his praise and glory. And he says it's holy and pleasing, which is staggering because it means that you can know God's pleasure. You can know God's pleasure by being as Christ to others. Again, I don't know what you think worship is. I could guess. But there's, let me say there's every chance it's not what you think it is. Come to the Bible and see. The Paul reminds us that true worship, proper worship, is when we love God with all every part of our being. We lay it all on the line for him, just like Jesus did. And we're doing it not for nothing, but because it's in response to God's mercy. That he first loved us. He first blessed us. So we go out. And do likewise. This is our true and proper worship. So how is that working out for you at the moment? Are you living reasonably? Is this your reasonable response to the mercy of God? Because of course, the alternative is unreasonable. The alternative is not true and not proper worship. So we're either doing things God's way, coming to him on his terms in response to his mercy, or we're going another way, a made-up way, a, a worldly way. Look at verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. It's pretty plain. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Pattern of the world? Well, this is... In Paul's day, it was Rome and Greek gods and idolatry everywhere. And today, well, the human heart is still today an idol factory, but we don't worship maybe the god of Zeus or the god of thunder. No, we, we there are other things that grab the affection of our hearts, that which we love, we worship. Now, what do you worship before God? Might be a football team. Somebody said that this week. A bit harsh, I thought. Might be money. Might be a career. Might be your reputation. Plenty of parents worship their kids. Ask any teacher. The pattern of the world is really as old as Adam. The world thinks it knows better. The world thinks it decides what is right and wrong. The world thinks it knows what is good for it. The world's going to save itself, haven't you heard? And I mean, we can do anything we set our minds to. Just believe enough. Believe in yourself. We can do anything. I mean, I tried to apply that thinking this week to um, losing five kilos of weight, but it didn't work. But we nurture this view, this strange idea. We even enable it. And the world just... It, do we see how the world seeks to calibrate our conscience? But Paul says, don't have a bar of it. Our minds need to change. Our minds need renewing. Not just our hearts. How confronting is that? I just thought I needed to change a heart. I need a new mind. I need it renewed. See, this is important. Because some Christians, uh, when we need to make a decision, people will say, you know... Um, 
it's a matter of conscience, not a gospel issue. Conscience issue, make your own mind up, form a conviction. And we apply our brains, we use our brains, apply our minds. But Oh, even I've said that. I've said that. But having said that, we need to see the danger. It's actually a dangerous thing to say. Sorry. We need to be careful about assuming our consciences are somehow the benchmark. It's dangerous to assume my conscience is the standard. And because my mind is the standard and because I've worked it out and I've got it right, everyone needs to come with me and think like I do. I mean, the world would be a better place if everyone thought like me. Right? No. And then, you know, seriously, is my conscience capable of making a mistake? Is it? And the answer has to be yes. I mean, it's little wonder people feel entitled to our opinions because we put the conscience up here like it's the be-all and end-all. Politics, vaccines, parenting. Everyone wants to have their say. Everyone loves to be right. Everyone loves to have an opinion. But, you know, when we come back to Romans chapter 1, it tells us about our minds. Romans chapter 1 tells us about the fut- futility of how we think about things. You know, it's, it talks about people that, you know, they know God, but they don't glorify him. They don't give thanks. Their thinking becomes futile. There you go. That's what we use our minds for. Futile thinking. Fut- foolish hearts are darkened. And, I, and then we exchange the glory of God for other things that are second rate by comparison. Well, then verse 28. Men did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. See what we've done with our minds? So God gives them over to a deprived mind. So they do what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And on it goes. See the human mind. Futile, deprived, scrambled, unable to make a proper moral judgment. That's our conscience. And so again, I'm reminded of how self-deceived we are. Don't be self-deceived. Don't fall for the pattern of the world. Stop kidding yourself. But of course, this is why the good news is good news. Because in Christ, he transcends all of that. He's going to renew our minds. In chapter 12, verse 2, he promises a reversal, a a renewing. And so the believer can have a renewed mind, not a worldly one. And a renewed mind is a worshipping mind. One who worships God in Christ Jesus. A mind that recognises and approves of God's good, pleasing and perfect will. A few words about God's will. Some people are going to talk about God's will the same way they might talk about fate or destiny or coincidence. I'm not with it. I'm not with you at that point. 
Some Christians worry about somehow being outside of God's will, earnestly trying to be godly, super sincere. Uh, I don't get it, but that's just me. Maybe it's just me. Others, oh man, they're just going to do something outright wicked and then they attribute that to the will of God because he told me to. And so then God's will becomes something contrived, something that's just basically the stuff of our invention. That's bogus. I want to say to you, God's will is not something abstract and intangible. Paul says that you can not only know God's will, you can test it, you can approve it, it's like you can nudge it and play with it and you can give it the thumbs up. You can show the world that it works. And right now you might be coming back at me and going, well, Adam, tell me what God's will is. And it's, you know, when Jesus says, love God, love your neighbor, that's a pretty simple answer. And that's an answer. If we apply that wonderful answer to our consciences and think about these decisions that we've got to make, these big decisions. Am I loving God in this? Am I loving my neighbor in this? That's going to shape our consciences and help form convictions. We need to form biblical convictions from our consciences. So it's not actually us, it's God who speaks and who rules. It's God's will. That's being unfolded. Here in Romans 12, it's God's will that in light of his mercy, we would worship him truly and properly by loving him like Christ first loved us. Verse 2, God's will that we would not conform to the pattern of the world. God doesn't want that for you. So stop conforming to it. No, chapter 8, he says he wants us conformed to the image of Christ. Not the world, Christ. And so here we come back to Christ again and being conformed to his image, following in his footsteps. Paul is saying, go his way, not the world's. This is God's will for you. And when you see that it works, give it the thumbs up and you'll be happy and you'll be pleased. And so will God. It's actually possible that God will be pleased. Isn't that nice? As I love others the way first Christ loved me. And of course, God's will continues in the chapter. Verse 3, I'm not to think of myself being better than others. That's a Christ-like mindset. Or verse 10, I'm not, I am to be devoted to the fellow believers. That's a Christ-like mindset. Verse 14, I'm going to bless, not curse my enemies. Again, Christ-like mindset. Nothing abstract about God's will. For us here. You want to renew your mind. You can shed the fake news of the world and apply your conscience, your mind to this, the Bible. As the Bible magnifies the glory and wonder of Jesus. You can do that. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to, ooh, what is God's will? Open up the Bible. It's there. Get a mature Christian friend to help you with that if you need. Will you get it wrong still? Oh, yeah, there's every chance I do. Uh, we're a work in progress. Don't be too hard on yourself. Seriously. 
But renewing your mind can start today. The world wants to calibrate your mind. The world wants to shape you and mould you. And the encouragement here is that Christ, that Christ would calibrate and renew our minds. So brothers and sisters, don't follow the world, follow Christ. Serve him as part of the body. Don't hold anything back. Lay it all down. Because Christ first did that for you. And so worship him truly and properly. My dear brothers and sisters, I urge you, God has been merciful. So offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So don't conform to the pattern of the world. Instead, be change your mind. Be transformed in the renewing of your mind. Uh, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, and you'll see. It's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. Amen.